Welcome back to another episode of People or Product. My name is George Brooks, and on today's episode, I had the pleasure of talking to Aisha Tierney Armstrong. Aisha is the CEO and co-founder of Vectaris, and Vectaris is this incredible organization that works with everyone from service companies, startups, all the way up to Fortune 500 companies, helping them think about how to productize their services and offerings and how to manage a portfolio of products that can help them to scale beyond the billable hour. She's also the author of Productize, the ultimate guide to turning professional services into scalable products. I had a chance to read this book and I was so excited to talk to Aisha. She is a wealth of knowledge for thinking about there are there's so much that goes into this process. It's really a mind shift of going from how do I provide these services, how do I market and sell these services to maybe how can I productize these productize these services? How can I actually offer the world a product that will scale these services? So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. If you work in a service-based company or in any company for that matter and you're thinking about how can technology-enabled products maybe help us scale, this is the episode for you. So let's jump right in. Well, Aisha, thank you so much for joining me today. I, I'm super excited to talk to you. I've, I've read your book, so I'm, I'm ready, ready to just dive right in. Uh, but I want to first hand it over to you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. So uh, again, my name is Aisha Armstrong, and I am the CEO and co-founder of a consulting company called Vectorus. Uh, we are headquartered in Cincinnati, Ohio, but I don't think that matters anymore. Not um, anymore. Not anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, even before the pandemic, we were what we call fully distributed. So um, yeah, but I live here in Cincinnati, and I have spent um, most of my career. Uh, developing, managing, leading uh, information services or data as a service products. Mm. And I did that uh, for a long time for a company that was bought by Gartner in 2015. Okay. And then spent a few years in the media industry. Uh, and then I launched Vectorist uh, three years ago. Congratulations. That's, I mean... You, you, you made it the three years, which is that that's the big mark. I think they say to like, you're still going. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah despite a global pandemic and everything. Yeah. All right in the middle of it. I love it. Right. I love it. Well, tell me a little bit about your organization and kind of, you know, what, what gets you up in the morning? What are you, what are you thinking about that you're really trying to help your clients or your customers with? Yeah. So we focus specifically on B2B services companies who have some type of intellectual property that they're trying to monetize or the title of my book, productize. Mm -hmm. And they don't have the in-house capabilities to do it themselves. Uh, and they want a thought partner. Um, perhaps they want some capacity to do some market research, to design some products, to test some products. Uh, they want some help going to market successfully with new products. Uh, so that's where we focus. But we specifically focus on those companies who are trying to make that transition from one-to-one -one customized services yeah. to more one-to-many using technology. So I may, I may take this time to kind of selfishly um, unpack some of that because in some ways it's very much who Crema is, which is our organization. So we 
we design and build custom software, right? So we're oftentimes doing it as a one-to-one. -one. I have to hire enough people that are experts in doing that. And I have to sell enough projects to get that done. Yep. So that's, that's an example of that. Or a lot of our clients are consulting clients, right? So they're thinking about the fact that, again, they have to have enough people to do the research, to do the interview questions, to kind of go in and look at the finances of an organization, and then enough clients to serve. Right. That's a really big challenge, right? Because it's always a one-to-one -one formula. You can only ever scale as much as you have a workforce to do it. Exactly. Yes. If you want to add, <clears throat> if you want to add new customers, then you have to add more people. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not very scalable. So the companies that we work with are trying to get out of that business model and use technology to productize their services so that they can reach more people without having to add headcount at the same rate. So give me an example of what that might look like. Um, Cause I can know, I know what that might mean for us, but um, what's an example of how you might approach that? Yeah, so let's say you are a marketing agency. Mm -hmm. And when you work with your clients on media planning or creating a marketing strategy, you're looking at certain sets of data. And perhaps you've come up with a unique methodology to analyze that data, to help maximize marketing spend, to help with efficient media planning. But you're still using that methodology as part of a one-to-one -one customized you know, engagement that you have with the client. Right. Could you take that data and create a self-service portal Mm -hmm. that heads of marketing could go into and access your data set. Maybe you turn your algorithm into some software that they can apply using that data set right. and come up with their own media strategy or marketing plan using that approach. So, so that, that model, in that model, then you would be that, that marketing agency could in theory then be selling a subscription or a membership scalable price. So not instead of one-to-one, -one, it could be in one-to-many, right? Exactly. Yes. Yes. Interesting. Interesting. So what does it take to kind of know, okay, yeah, I, I know how to do this consulting thing, or I know how to do this service providing thing. How do you go from, I know how to bill an hour to, I actually think I might have something that could be possible. You know, how, how do you get there? Yeah. So it's, it's not easy, which is why I wrote the book. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that we noticed is that organizations tend to massively underestimate like how difficult this is mm -hmm. because not only does it require a different mindset, like going from one-to-one -to, -one to one to many is a different mindset. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to use technology that may involve skills that you don't currently have in your organization, right? Um, if you're going to sell successfully, you probably need to start investing in marketing, right? Cause you're trying to like market to a bunch of people as opposed to one-to-one -one relationship building. So yeah. it's a totally um, different marketing and sales methodology, really totally different. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess then how do you find, how do you know if you have something that can be productized? Yeah. So the first thing I ask uh, companies is, is this solving an urgent and expensive customer problem? Explain that. Cause when I saw that in the book, I went, Ooh, that's, uh, that's, that's a provocative, but I don't, I had to dig deeper to kind of understand what you meant by that. So explain that to us a little bit. Yeah. Good question. So urgent means they have to address it like in the next 12 months. Mm. 
So it's, it's not something that they can continue to delay. It's something right. that they need to take action on. Yeah. Expensive is they'll actually put resources toward solving that problem. So ideally you're solving a problem that is both urgent and expensive. Right. Because then you're getting to a real customer need. And then I ask, who has that problem? So mm -hmm. is it just one client that you talk to, <laughs> right? Because that's not, that's not good scalable. for one-to-one, -one, right? Yep. But it's not scalable. Yeah. So you need to find an urgent and expensive problem that an attractive customer segment has. So attractive customer segment could be large. It could be small, but high willingness to pay. Um, thinking through those type of screens. But that's that's the first thing you need is something that solves an urgent and expensive problem for an attractive customer segment. I think it's really helpful because I know in our company's history, in some ways we kind of do some of this with our clients, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of the software we build today is going to be mostly helping organizations to run more efficiently. So they're really thinking about using technology to help them and, so, and productize, but more so internally productize, right? Yeah. Uh, but in the past, when we worked with um, either small, medium-sized businesses or startups, they were trying to productize something that could be a one-to-many. And the challenge was they went, well, we found a client and we built this for them and they love it. And they're like or head over heels and we can, we're iterating on it. We're getting this feedback loop and it's totally the lean process. And I'm like, sweet, where's your, where's your other clients? Like, oh well, yeah, um, nobody else has bought, bought it yet. So I think when you're thinking about making sure that you're not just going back to really your roots, which is just building custom software for one company. Right. Um, but, then, but then you point out in the book that the reality is, is if it's not, if it's just urgent or just expensive, it has to be both. So maybe you can unpack like, why does it need to be both? Or give me an example of where it can go wrong if it's just one or the other. Yeah. So again, urgent is, it's a problem they need to solve in the next 12 months. And that's because I want to go out there and test quickly. Mm -hmm. Like, is there product market fit? Like, is yeah. there actually a market for this product? So if it's an urgent problem, I'm more likely to get market signals faster. Um, expensive again, because you don't want to give your, hopefully not giving your product away for free, but you actually want people to, to pay money for it. Yeah. Will they and, actually fork up the cash? Right. Right. So for example, we were working with a company who had come up with a new way to visualize data. Mm. And there are a lot of other data visualization tools out there. A ton of them now. Yeah. It's, right. a, it's a crowded market. Yeah. Right. There are also, you know, there's Excel, which most people have you know, on their, on their laptop or their desktop already. And so what we had to discern is like, yeah, this is better than what you could do even with Excel, but was it actually something that people would spend money on? Mm. Um, and, and what we found is, is it wasn't a sufficient enough replacement or improvement upon what they already had um, to warrant any additional spend, even though it was better. It wasn't an expensive problem in the eyes of the customer because they already had a, a good enough solution. How do you get to figuring that out though? How do, what's, what are some of the processes? Because I know um, we worked with a company uh, for a short period of time, but come to find out one of their products, they'd, they'd spent five years building it. They'd spent over $3 million Ouch. and they had one customer and it was themselves. Yeah. And in their, all of their investing was an intention to 
scale this out. The question was, how might they have gone about this differently and actually figured out whether or not there was a market segment or not? Yeah. So, and, and the good news here, this, this is an area where it's not rocket science. So we apply lean startup methods when working with our clients and take a very rapid test and learn iterative approach. And the way that we learn whether or not there's a market for it um, depends on the type of product, but uh, it could include interviews and you don't mm -hmm. have to go out and do a hundred interviews. Usually, you know, 10 to 12 is enough. Yep. Um, it could include a survey. Uh, it could include, you know, trying to sell the product before it's actually built to see if you get any bites. Um, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So we call that um, sell then build testing. Uh, so there are a lot of different ways that you can do this that don't have to take a lot of time or effort, but, you know, an another maybe two or three weeks added to the process to get some signals, to get some feedback, like that's really good hygiene and you can learn a ton that way. And in theory, you end up saving six months, year, 18 months worth right. of development. <laughs> $3 million. Yeah. I'm saying, yeah. Right. I mean, that's a yeah. huge, the problem is I think then it's, it's a change of mindset, right? I mean, you're, you're trying to convince someone not that, the, that they shouldn't invest or they should invest. I think there's oftentimes a, well, sometimes a willingness to invest, but the question is, is are we investing into the right thing? And that's usually where people get frozen, which lean, the lean methodologies, build, measure, learn, do teach us, okay, well, you don't have to MVPs, minimum viable products. You can test these ideas out. Yeah. Um, what does it look like when you go into a conversation with a key leader or um, maybe a key point of contact inside the organization and are trying to get them to shift in this way of thinking from the services to the potential product or from the long-term investment into short experiments to prove a market? What, what does that conversation feel or look like? Yeah. So fortunately, usually the leader I'm talking to is very bought in. Like Good. this is their strategy. This is their vision. Their question is, how do I get my team to implement this? Oh, okay. And sometimes it's, you know, you may need to bring in different people because the team may not have the technology acumen. Right. Um, the team may be used to thinking very one-to-one -one as opposed to one-to-many. Mm -hmm. And they just can't make that like mindset shift or jump that has to happen. Right. Um, the other thing is performance measures are going to have to change. So yeah, talk, talk more about that. Cause I think that's a, that's a, that's a big challenge. And it's often missed. What does that look yeah. like? So, so one thing is that usually services businesses are great from a cash flow perspective. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, great cash in the door right now, really hard to say no to those, you know, one off client requests, because it means I get money right now. Aisha, are you talking directly to me right now? Because I, 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I feel I feel exactly what you're saying. Go on, go on. Yeah, versus a product business, yeah. you have to make an upfront investment. So you at least have to make an investment in exploring. Like, is yeah. this a good market to go after? Designing your concept, testing your concept a little. You know, putting enough in development that you get that minimum viable product. Um, you know, so there's a lot of upfront investment that has to happen before you start to see revenue. And that means that that needs different performance measures mm -hmm. than your services side of the business. And that's a huge shift. I yeah. think every product shop that I've ever met or talked to has said, well, cool. Have you tried to build your own product yet? 
Yeah. Like, cause we have all these, these people capable of building a product sitting around us yeah. and we're building other people's products. Why wouldn't you build your own? Right. And it is that shift exactly what you described that going from, you know what, they're going to pay me, which means I'll have capital in my bank account revenue tomorrow, relatively speaking. And, and then we can keep this thing going. Yeah. Versus that investment that you talked about, the appetite for that investment, or the a tolerance for that investment, and the ability to say, okay, it's a it's a risk. Um, you know, there there's a there's a potential this doesn't work out, and that investment is a loss. Or, you know, like a good entrepreneur, it's a risk reward. There's a potential reward on the other side. Um, yeah. That's a big mind shift. Yeah. And, and to be successful, it requires ring fencing those investments that you make in building the product. Interesting. So a big mistake that I see organizations make is they try to build service to organizations make is they try to build products off the side of their desk. Mm. So you maybe have like a consultant who isn't fully utilized, right? Mm. So you put him or her on developing a product or working on something for a few weeks, and then they go back to client work the, you know, the instant another big client comes in. That is not a recipe for success. You need people who are fully devoted to this, which requires investment. Uh, and those individuals need to have like different performance measures, different compensation structure mm -hmm. than the services side of the business needs to have. And in fact, uh, this can be such a shift for organizations that I'm seeing more and more companies decide to split the two businesses because it's too hard to have them both under one roof, especially when you get to issues of valuation and things like that. Yeah, that's really insightful. We've seen some, some other product studios, larger ones that have literally said, well, we're going to spin this out as its own company because mm -hmm. it, it's just, it is too much in conflict or even then becomes a, a morale or a culture issue because it's like, oh, well, that's the fun project. That's the one that's making high margins potentially, or that's the one where we get to explore, test and learn. And we don't always get to do that with our clients. So there's, there can be even a cultural dissonance as well. Totally. Yeah. Um, when, when you get an MVP, if you find that something is sticking and they're getting some customers, what does it take to keep going? Because it's, again, it, it's, it's a little bit different. I mean, we've done this where we've had a product or actually a couple of different products where it was like, Hey, people liked it. They used it. They even paid for it. But again, clients are knocking on the door. We don't know how to continue to sustain, sustain that. Is it the same issue of kind of having to have dedicated resources towards this? Uh, yes. And so we call it launch boldly. Oh, I like and that. The reason why we call it launch boldly is that you have to do a couple of things. The first thing is you have to overcome your fear of cannibalizing your services revenue. And again, this gets back to like mindset. This is a counseling session, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> this is so good. Yeah. No, I, I totally know what you're talking about. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. So, so for example, the, the one that I used at the beginning, like the marketing agency who uses this data set and this approach to do media planning, if they all of a sudden create a portal that mm. a head of marketing can go into and, you know, for a annual subscription fee, use access the same data, do the same analysis. It doesn't require them anymore. Like, is that going to eat away at their services revenue? Right. And if the product is aimed at the same 
target segment that their services line of business is, it probably will. Right. Right. So you have to think through that. Like, do I want to create a product that serves the same segment that I'm serving right now in services, or do I want to go perhaps down market and create something that a more price sensitive uh, segment could use, for example. But even then you're running the risk that it could eventually uh, cannibalize your services revenue with your, your higher price segment. Um, the other thing you have to think about is uh, if I don't do this, will somebody else? Mm-hmm, there's the key. Right, yeah. So we, we talk about it um, and it's outlined in the book, the three C's of cannibalization. Uh, which are customer segment. So can I go after a different customer segment? Complementary, can I offer or create a product that complements my services as opposed to replace replace Mm -hmm. the services? And then the third one is Christensen after Clayton Christensen, who wrote Disruptive Innovation. And really the encouragement there is like, think about disrupting yourself before somebody else does. uh, And what might that look like? So that's a big part of Launch Boldly. The other part is the other thing that I mentioned previously, which is if you're going to go and sell one to many, that is a different sales strategy, marketing strategy, which requires investment. Like building the product is not enough. You also have to invest in getting it to market. We talk with our customers a lot about this is that there is this adage or this mindset, I think, unfortunately, because of the the journalism that happens around tech companies in general Mm -hmm. gives the sense that they build it, they built it and people came and that it became successful and they became, you know, unicorn status like overnight. And if you really go and talk to the people that were a part of those organizations or a part of those stories and and say, tell me what it really took. It's like, well, it was a huge investment, a huge risk. We almost couldn't eat for, you know, forever, however long. And we didn't figure out even how to market and sell it to a lot of people until we kind of stumbled into it. You know, like it's this much messier and, and heavy, um, heavy thing than, well, if I just had the piece of technology, we'd be successful. Right. Um, and I think that that's what you're getting at is it, it takes so much more work. You, at the beginning of this conversation, you said, it, this is hard. It is right? really hard work to do. Um, it's, it's hard, but it's super I don't want to call it trendy. It's super important right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, so, I mean, if COVID taught us anything, it's that if we've been lagging in thinking about digital innovation and how to digitize delivery of our services, like we've got to catch up. Um, and, and not just because people are more digitally savvy than ever, but also like there are so many startups, very well-funded startups out there Mm-hmm. Um, we're so well-funded, they're buying market share right. that if you're not competing with them, uh, your business eventually will erode. So uh, it's not trendy. It's important. <laughs> I like that language a lot because it, it really is important, especially in services. So you, you talked about the fact that that's what, you know, primarily your target is you're helping people with services, turn it into a product. And I think the reality is the services are, are it's, it's pretty comfortable. It's pretty comfortable. This model's worked and we know how to do it. And we know how to, pro- we, we just think it's always going to be here. Right. And oftentimes I'll say like, yeah, Blockbuster thought that movies would always be sold from a, a retail store. Right. Um, but it, the model can always be changed. One of the mantras we have here at Crema is if we're the same two years from now, as we are right now, 
then we're on our way to being being irrelevant. Ooh, I like that. That's a good one. Because it's just either you have to change and adapt or mm-hmm. the world will change you and adapt you out, right? Um, right. And so I, I completely support that, that, um, that idea that people, ha- it's important. They have to be doing this if they want to make meaningful change, if they want to serve their customers well. Yes, yes. Okay, so what are some of the biggest challenges people come up against as they do? We already talked about resourcing and investing. What are some other challenges that they come up to or maybe the ways that they get it wrong as they're, as they're going about it? Yeah, so um, the, I outline in the book what I call like the seven deadly mistakes of productization. And um, one of them is thinking that if I just get the right process, mm-hmm. like if I can just implement like lean, for example, <laughs> then just give then me the framework. Great. Give me the framework. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, or if I can bring in like an agile coach, like that'll, that'll solve everything. Um, and unfortunately that's not true. Uh, mm-hmm. it's really, it starts with the people and part of that, which I mentioned before is skills. So mm-hmm. it may mean bringing in new people that have new technology skills that you don't have working with outside developers, rather than trying to build your own development team from scratch. Like, you know, you really have to think through like, how am I going to access the skills that I need to do this? But then also, and you, you mentioned this before, like you've got a a culture clash between the services side and the product side. You have to think through the culture change. Yeah. So what are the behaviors of a product led organization versus a services led organization? How do you get your leadership team to start um, practicing those behaviors and embodying those behaviors and uh, modeling it from the top. So you're, you're actually saying leadership totally. should, should start doing this. Then others will, will follow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, performance measures, like that's another key thing that has to change so that all the things that affect people, their skills, how they feel about themselves, how they're compensated, like that unfortunately gets short shrift. Mm-hmm. And it's what stands in the way of a lot of organizations being successful. Um, it's so one of the reason we talked, we, we named this podcast people of product. Yes. Because one of the, one of the challenges that we, we saw was that people kept talking about products and, and process and technology or tools. Yeah. And nobody went back to, you know, there's human beings doing all that work, right? Like this is. This is about bringing, and you even talk about a diverse group of people together yeah. with different perspectives, unique perspectives, getting them to be aligned and actually moving up something pretty hard forward. Yeah. That's hard. It is hard. Yes. And if I've made my career out of being really good at knowing what does George Brooks want mm. and how do I deliver it to George Brooks, I'm going to feel threatened when people say, this is no longer about George Brooks, this is about like a market segment with these attributes and thinking about how do you get, you know, certain penetration of that market segment. I'm I'm going to feel like the way that I create and add value is, is under siege. Uh, That's that's an an identity crisis right there. See, this is is a counseling session. I, I get it. It's, it's funny because, um, I had a mentor one time who said, George, if you want crema to scale, you need to replace yourself mm. because early on I was a designer by trade. So people were hiring me to do user experience design and I would product manage it. And you know, I kind of, I was the, like, I can get it all done. And he said, that's great. But if you want to do anything more than 
you know, work a hundred hour weeks, then you have to figure out how to scale. And now this was just for me to run my organization, but the model I think is what you're talking about is the exact same thing as it applies to the company serving the market. Correct. Yes. How do you replace yourself so that you can scale? Yeah. Scary. Cause now <laughs> I have actually done that just as of January this year, I have nobody that reports to me. Um, I have, we have uh, 55 right as of right now, as of whatever, October, something 55 people on staff and I don't do sales. I don't, you know, I, now I'm involved in a bunch of things and I'm influencing things, but it's this, this organization has figured out how to do this because we've invested in the people. Yeah. It's hard. And I, I'm like, what do I, I do podcasts, you know? <laughs> well, congratulations though. That's huge that you did that. Well, and I, but I think it's just an example of the, the, the personal attack that can feel is, is somebody says your company needs to do this yeah, whether you want to or not. Um, we had, I had a conversation with a, a big consulting group and we were kind of targeting them as a potential client and the, um, his title was product. So I was like, okay, these are my people. I like this. And he said, here's the issue. I built a really cool product that would make all of our consultants do less work. And they all went, I don't want to use that because mm -hmm. to your point earlier, it was a huge threat. They're like, uh, I get paid by the hour or I get incentivized by the hour right. to write really long reports in Microsoft word <laughs> with a Microsoft Excel visualization at the end of it. Right. Yeah. You just automated this with some artificial intelligence. I'm no longer valuable. So right. we are sure as heck aren't going to open that piece of software. Right. Yes, totally. Yet, yeah. yet you could unlock the potential of that, that organization just scaling like crazy. Yeah. yeah. And, and the trick here, George, is that if they don't use it, like one of their competitors will start doing it. Yeah. And then they'll free up their consultants to spend their time on more value add things, or they'll mm -hmm. use that efficiency to lower their rates or whatever. But like, you know, this is going to happen whether people want it to happen or not. Yeah, it's a good word. Okay, okay. Well, I know I want to be respectful of your time, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap up or get close to it. Um, so, I I didn't ask you this before we got started, but what's something that you're excited about? Where what is something that as you look at your customers, as you look at what the market's doing, your market's doing, mm -hmm. what's something that gets you excited? You go, ah, that's this is where I'm seeing it click in. It's working, and that's just getting you excited. Where, where do you see that happening right now? So where I'm most excited right now is the changes in corporate structure that I alluded to, where oh, organizations yeah. are finally realizing that, yes, like the services business is very attractive, like cash flow is great. I've got a great team. I figured out how to do this. But in order for me to be successful at, at the product business, yeah. like I almost need to carve it out and make it a separate thing. So what I'm most excited about has nothing to do with technology or design. It has everything to do with the organizational structure changes that I'm seeing our clients finally get around to. And again, I love that because it ring fences product. It gives them their own separate culture, their own separate performance measures. And I think sets them up for more success than if they're trying to do it off the side of their desk. I love that. That's exciting. And I think more organizations need to hear that. Leaders and organizations need to hear that, that there is a huge potential for them to do this great work, but it takes a lot of intentionality. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for exploring this with me. If you, oh man, I want you to plug the book because it's so good. I got a chance to read it. Um, and I really mean that. I, I don't, I don't always get, you know, you interview people and you're like, oh yeah, book is good, but yeah. Okay. This is, it's really good. So, um, I want you to go ahead and tell us a little bit more about where people can find you and in the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thanks, George. Um, yeah. So the book is called productize. The subtitle is the ultimate guide to turning professional services into scalable products. Um, what we all want, buy, it's what we all want. Right, I love exactly. it. <laughs> um, you can get it on Amazon or wherever you prefer to buy your books. Uh, and you can learn more about me and Vectris at Vectris.com. And that's V-E-C-T-E-R-I-S or the productizedbook.com. Um, so either one of those URLs will take you to all of our great stuff. I'm on LinkedIn. People can feel free to reach out. Um, and this has just been a delight, George. It's my pleasure. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for what you're doing. Because I think that's a big thing is that, again, we go back to this is about people. And this is not an easy business to be in. And what you're doing to kind of get people to change, people don't like change. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're, you're doing the hard work that I think is, is really important. So thank you. Thank you for all you do. And thank you for coming on the show today. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you. This episode of People of Product was produced by Larissa McCarty with support from Julie Branson and Steph Inger. Our hosts are George Brooks and Daniel Linhart. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a digital product agency. We believe that creativity, technology, and culture can help individuals and organizations thrive. Learn more at crema.us.